Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Friday and uh, welcome to the ADI lunchtime lecture. Today, we've got Danny McCarthy from the co-op talking about how data ethics has impacted um, the work and the products and services that co-op provides. Uh, Danny is the data governance and quality manager at the co-op. Um, we will have time for questions at the end, but can I make sure that um, everyone knows that this microphone will not amplify your voice, but you do need to speak into it because we have a live stream um, audience listening as well. If you do want to ask any questions um, from the online audience, it's hashtag ODI Fridays, or if you're too shy to ask in here, hashtag ODI Fridays as well. Over to Danny. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you as well for the ODI for asking me along to, to talk about data ethics. So, yeah, as uh, Alex's intro describes, I'm a data governance and quality manager at the co-op based in Manchester. Um, I've been working for about 15 years in data, so started out with sort of, you know, data analyst roles into a more sort of technical capacity. Um, I've worked, you know, a lot of cleansing projects, data warehousing, and more recently in the last sort of eight or nine years, uh, a lot more focus on data quality, governance and architecture. I've got a background in public and private sector, so I've done a number of years at Manchester City Council, uh, a number of years in financial services with GE Capital, GMAC Commercial Finance, and more, more recently at Cooperative Insurance, Royal London Group, and then for the last sort of 18 months, um, I've been in my role at Cooperative Group Headquarters. So I'm going to talk to you today about how we've used one of the ODI tools with, um, with quite a great amount of success so far. Um, but before I sort of start, I'd just almost like to get a bit of a show of hands for how many people have actually sort of uh, used the, the ethics canvas within their organisation. So just to get a feel of if this is brand new content. So two or three people potentially... Okay, so hopefully some of this might resonate with some of your experiences, but it feels like for a lot of the people in the room this might be something new. So that's great. Okay, that's the introduction. So why is it important at the co-op? So I've got a couple of pages to talk through some context in terms of why it resonates at the co-op, and then I'll come on to some of the lessons learned in a moment. So in um, 1844... Um, these gentlemen came together um, as the Rochdale pioneers and they um, wanted to come together to find a better and fairer way of doing business and to disrupt some of the corrupt and unfair practices that were happening at that time in that part of, uh, part of the country. So other um, sort of shop providers were sort of, you know, watering down milk and sort of adapting flour so it wasn't as pure and these group of pioneers came together to actually make a fairer way of doing business and that's still at the absolute core of, of the co-op and the co-op's principles um, you know for example we're still all of our own brand products are all um, fair trade and we continue with that that um, principle um, and more recently we've recently introduced um, the biodegradable carrier bags and we've made that technology openly available for anybody that wants to use that so I think it's, it's just what we do at the co-op. Um, we want to set very high ethical and sustainability standards and that continues to pervade in all of our uh, products, services and operations. So just before we go into the detail on the data ethics canvas, I wanted to frame why we feel trust is particularly important at the co-op. So back at our uh, AGM in 2016, uh, Mike Bracken, who was the chief digital officer at the time, uh, made a quite a significant update to our members that we want to be seen to be 
trusted with data. And that's comprising of sort of three pillars. So around integrity, transparency, and meaningful consent. Now, since then, we've often considered, and we've often been challenged internally and sort of, you know, externally, different things. What does that being trusted actually mean? And I think I've found my role in the last sort of 18 months there, that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a hard statement to be able to define about what is that sort of, you know, what is to be trusted. Um, and it's a vision that, you know, is perfectly valid and it's a great aspiration, but how does that translate practically for people sort of on the ground in their day-to-day uh, activities, particularly those working with data? And we know that trust is very subjective to an individual and it is based on, you know, a number of different factors. Some of them could be around their overall engagement or their data or digital literacy or their understanding of, you know, what trust means in a wider context. Um, but we also know it's very, very fragile as well, and that once lost, it's something that's really hard to, to, to recover. So what we found is that actually through working quite closely with the ODI and using the Data Ethics Canvas, we've found this to be a really um, practical tool to give that guidance to the teams to help thinking about you know, what it is to be trusted. Um, so whilst it's very hard for us to say, yes, we are trusted with data because that's a real sort of unicorns and rainbows sort of, you know, sort of real vision in the future. I think actually we need to be taking practical sort of small progressive steps that will help our business move into that space. We recently published an article on the ODI blog uh, called sort of, you know, Trust is the New Currency. Um, if you haven't already looked at that, it does cover some of the content that we're going to cover today. Um, but that's something that we're viewing that trust is the new currency for organ- organisations. And without that trust, it is a commodity that, you know, you, you, organisations could um, lose a lot of their consumers if they're not seen to be securing the data that is being used and um, ensuring that, you know, they are doing the right things in the right ways. So we didn't test it everywhere. We decided to look um, within one of our particular divisions. So as some, some of you might be aware, the Co-op is quite a large organisation. We cover sort of retail, we cover funeral care, we cover insurance. Um, we've also got a digital division. And when we say digital, that isn't just changing sort of, you know, the logo on our website or developing a few applications. The way we describe digital when done well is that fundamentally it's about the redesigning of services that we deliver and it means changing the way that we work sort of internally and how that translates externally and sometimes that means that we can do things more efficiently perhaps more cheaply um, but that's that's not the main point the main point I think of our digital division and the mantra that we really want to sort of enforce really is that it's creating different different better stronger relationships between our colleagues our members our partners and our customers. So as digital was an emerging division, and perhaps the newest of our divisions, you know, from a maturity perspective, we thought, and their ways of working meant that the trust aspect could be baked in to the design of products and services. We thought that actually this could be um, quite a good area to start to test some of these tools. We also know that um, historically, some of those teams that work um, in an agile way, very, very fast-paced, have historically perhaps struggled with traditional governance and milestones and governance is perceived that, you know, it slows an agile way of working down. 
So it provided us an opportunity to provide a more sort of creative approach about how we, we govern data in that space. So that's a little bit of the rationale about why we, we decided to look at that within digital. So at the point in time when we started to test the canvas um, was sort of February and March last year. And so GDPR was looming very large on the horizon. And we used this as a little bit of an opportunity to get in and talk to those different teams, the sort of the delivery managers, the product owners who are designing the, the products and services, initially with a focus of thinking about, okay, so what's going on with this particular project? Um, what are the data risks? Are those risks within appetite? And can we actually put some controls in place to actually bring it in appetite if it was beyond appetite? So we kind of worked with the digital marketing team to develop a mission and use a lot of the agile language um, in a way that they could engage. And the first part of this mission was looking to, to build that capability that meets, yes, the immediate GDPR regulatory requirements. But we didn't stop there. The mission was in two parts. And the second part was more around looking to facilitate the long-term information management culture. So culture change takes time. It's something that doesn't happen straight away. And so using sort of effective tools in a way like the ethics canvas has allowed us to start to take some incremental steps on changing that sort of, or developing that culture. And when we say sort of the culture of information management, that includes the identification and the driving of value for our members and customers whilst doing things in the right way, but also building that data literacy and engagement over time by finding tools that actually really help people instead of, for example, here's a 13-page policy, you need to comply with it. Actually, we could be the sort of help them and be the middleman to say, actually, we know the policy content. Here's a tool that you can use that can help frame some of this content that will bring it to life for you. So that, what we found, has been a particularly helpful uh, example of starting to work on the information management culture. So what have we done? So to identify all the issues and actions surrounding ethics, we've used the ODI ethics canvas within those service delivery teams in digital all throughout last year. This picture is an older version of the data ethics canvas. A newer version of that has been released on the ODI website. Um, so we need to go away and continue to iterate our approach and iterate our content. Um, but essentially, the ethics canvas um, is a format. There's 15 topics. The idea is that it's delivered in an open workshop. Um, you would get all of your different, say, the delivery manager, the product owner, the relevant multiple, or sorry, the multidisciplinary um, specialists in a room together to talk about these different themes. So you look at where do you get the information from? You know, what are your sources, third party? And we've, we've adapted this template to make it relevant for um, our particular co-op colleagues with relevant content. So say, for example, uh, we're looking at where you're getting your information from. Does it meet data quality standards or are there any known biases to it? Has it aged? You know, how old is that information? Is it PII? Therefore, you probably need tighter controls around it. The rights over the data sources. So this would obviously be the consent from the, the data subject. But then within a data governance framework, you know, who is the accountable owner for that particular data set? Are they aware of what you're doing with that data? Have they given you approval to do that? What's the use case for this? So what are you looking to achieve? And what's the best and worst possible outcome for the thing that you're trying to achieve? 
How are you going to engage with people? You know, if you've got blogs, are there sort of different user research channels? Are you reporting into the exec? Um, what are the risks, issues? So this would be something that you know, is quite key, or we found quite key when we were using this, um, to try and flush out if there is any PII risks in the run-up to GDPR. But that's just the um, you know, one regulatory risk. Are there financial risks? Are there brand risks that you might need to consider within the project or the product or service you're designing? And then the most important part really is the, the what happens next piece. So who's going to do what and what are the really tangible actions that you can capture in order to sort of ensure that you're proceeding within your, within your risk appetite. So we've used this with a number of different projects and I'll just talk you through what each of these different projects are. So the first one, the Shifts project, this was uh, an application developed focused mainly with the colleagues that work in the retail stores. They've got an app on their phone to be able to say who's in, on what day, who's on holiday and if they need to move shifts about with other people or swap shifts, they can do it through, through the app. So obviously that's got sort of uh, colleague sensitive information within there. The Guardian app, so this has been a real uh, success for the co-op. This is where we've been looking to transform um, the way that we um, plan and deliver funerals. So historically, a lot of the funeral homes were very much paper-based. This is bringing a lot of those funeral homes uh, into the digital age with um, you know, tablets that are used in the funeral homes and used in the delivery of funerals. But all the data, actually the back end of that, is that all the data can be held in one place, can be reported from one place, and can be secured in one singular way. The coupons piece, so this is where if you go into a co-op store and you beep your membership card for a series of products that you might buy, you're then issued with a coupon based on your transaction history. So obviously there's a lot of ethical considerations to consider about what coupons we should and shouldn't offer different uh, members based on their transaction history. And then there's the OneWeb team, so this is, or the OneWeb project, this is uh, where we've been looking to consolidate where there were multiple different websites and with different URLs for the co-op to try and bring it under one header and put it in one place. So again, they've all got slightly different um, missions and objectives that are looking to achieve, uh, but we've tested the ethics canvas with all of those, or these four examples. We've tested them with quite a few more since, we've, um, since you know, we started out on that journey. So the bit that I think we really wanted to focus in on today is what have we learned? Not necessarily just in terms of what we have learned as a project team in how to deliver the workshops, but what the people at the workshops have, have started to share with us. So some of that feedback. It's a really good structure for a bring out, bring out your dad style session, and it's described as cathartic. So I'm not going to say which project this was, but there was a project that um, was quite far down the delivery life cycle when we started to engage with them. A number of the uh, members of the project team had made decisions throughout the delivery life cycle that they, some of them were unsure about those decisions. So when we ran the workshop with that project team, which will remain nameless, um, we did say, look, this is a, an opportunity to put everything out on the table and let's decide what we should worry about and what we shouldn't worry about. Um, so it was a way, and running that workshop in a way that um, the whole team could contribute to that, not just, say, the project manager, but all of the resources on the project meant that everybody could bring their thoughts and ideas out in the workshop. There was also different interpretations, for example, of what PII was. 
So we were working with, again, another project, and all of these projects will remain nameless. It's not just those four that I talked about earlier. There are other projects too. But there was a particular query that was raised saying, well, hold on a minute, IP address, that's not PII. And it allowed us to just say, just hold on a minute, it is PII and we need to think about how we govern that. So it really allowed us the opportunity to start to clarify different interpretations of the data regulations and make that really clear and pointed for those people to understand. And at the end of the session, where I touched on why the actions are very important, it allowed the team to know what they should really worry about and prioritise some of those actions. And what actually they could, they could leave and just think, OK, we can proceed without that. Oh, I shouldn't really have to worry about that particular piece. Interestingly, as we went through some of those conversations, it helped us build out, build out some of our non-functional requirements. So when we were having conversations with a particular project and they were saying, OK, so how long should we keep that data for? We actually then started to capture that for them and it fed straight into a retention schedule for that particular department. So it kind of it made things run a little bit quicker for the project where we gathered that from them and put it in the retention schedule and it kind of made their lives a little bit easier. Interestingly, where I think there may have been concerns within some projects about how a particular data decision had been made um, that might have happened behind closed doors, running the workshop in an open format with all of the project resources in the room allowed all of the concerns to be heard and that everybody had a voice in that, in that context and that everybody could be reassured that we're, they were doing the right things within, within the co-op's mantra. And again, this is something that we've been a little bit inundated with the amount of response we've got from projects on how this is being run. The recommendations came out from a particular project saying, you know, this is a really good thing, and then all the other project managers have been getting in touch, and we've been having to really sort of sequence when we're running these different workshops. So it is an activity that is um, universally accepted within the, the digital uh, teams that are designing our products and services. And now there's some of the feedback that I think from actually running the workshops, so once you've looked at the actual canvas itself and there is material uh, that the ODI has produced, but these are some of our lessons that we've learned throughout this sort of approach to deliver it. So when we started, we suggested that each of the project teams should complete the canvas during each discovery at the end of the alpha towards sort of the middle of a beta and definitely before a go live. And we felt that was probably sensible points in an agile delivery life cycle to complete the canvas. But we've learned through those different projects and the different things that are being delivered that one size doesn't fit all. So instead, we've kind of empowered some of our delivery managers to define with us and with our support. I mean, I perform a, a sort of a roving data business partner type role with these projects. But through that engagement with the delivery managers, we can kind of work out what's the best point to fill it in. So for example, if a, a product has been designed with a relatively um, simple set of features that doesn't change massively from point of the end of discovery through to when you go live, perhaps it's only relevant to do this once. But if there are new features that are introduced or the scope of what is being delivered continues to evolve and change, which can happen in agile delivery, then actually we should find the most relevant points to re-engage with the project. We've also, um, as I mentioned, we've had significant uptake in running these sessions, which has been great because it's getting that engagement out of some of those teams that haven't 
potentially engaged within you know, into data governance or, or data management. But as a result of that, it's put quite a lot of constraints on our team. And it's myself and Claire Hadfield in our team who have been running these sessions. So we've kind of wrote a user guide to basically help the delivery manager prepare for the session. This is the types of the crib sheet of the questions that you would want to prompt people with. Um, and following the session, what you should do. So we're trying to empower the delivery managers to start to run this on a little bit of a, a self-serve basis. And we have had some uptake uh, for that, and they are starting to run that on a, on a bit of a self-serve basis. And this is, I think this is perhaps one of the most powerful points that we should, uh, you should consider, is that involve your data specialists. So when I talk about data specialists, I mean your data protection managers, or your information security managers, or your risk and assurance managers for data. Get those people in the workshop with the project team. So the way that we manage our risks at the co-op, just for some context, is we have three different risk categories. One for data protection, another one for information security, and another one for data management. But as a result of that, where there are new projects that are about to go live, sometimes a project might be engaged by three different data specialist teams. So getting those three data specialists into that singular workshop and asking all of those questions and using the ethics canvas as a, a model to be able to flush out all of your technical access and sort of you know security risks or your, your PII consent type risks or your broader sort of Dharma data management principles around quality and, and ownership, getting them all together actually has helped sort of reduce some of that potential frustration from the project managers and delivery managers because they're not just getting engaged three times, we can actually do it once, so it's a little bit more efficient. And also getting those people together to help demystify what some of those technicalities are. So more often than not, um, well, we've had a lot of queries about, you know, in these sessions about pseudonymization, what is that, obfuscation, all these sort of really technical terms that are embedded within some of the narratives, say, for GDPR. Get the specialists in the room, talk in plain English, just like masking the data deleting the data and actually make it relevant for people. I think getting those specialists in the room and making it really clean and simple for people, again, has given us an uplift in engagement. Ban technology at the workshop. <coughs> um, this probably just doesn't always apply to the ethics canvas, um, but the first times we were running this session, often people were still on their laptops and doing things. But we, we kind of worked on a, a principle now where we work with the, the delivery manager in advance and get their buy-in so that they can enforce that laptops closed, put your phones away, give everybody a pack of Post-its and a Sharpie pen. And there's a particular environment at the co-op, it's um, a big auditorium, um, where um, we've got quite a large wall, but the front row of the auditorium is probably towards the back of the room, so three or four metres away. So actually, everybody up and up to the front and actually sort of do it in a really interactive, having people stood up so it isn't just the data specialist stood at the front writing the post-its um, is something that really has helped. Because there's quite a lot to cover on the data ethics canvas, you've got to time box those topics. The first times we ran the, uh, the session, we didn't necessarily get all the way through it. We got quite bogged down in some of the sources and where are we sharing that information and you know, what are the laws we need to consider? And sometimes we didn't necessarily get to the actions at the end. So we found that probably limiting it to maybe three or four minutes per topic is quite a useful mantra to try and aim for. To do that, you need somebody to actually then be in the room and be the nominated time police and actually time it as you go. The other way you could consider it is 
the way that the canvas has worked in our experience is that there's a number of sort of themed conversations. So the top row of the canvas around where are you getting your data from, who are you sharing it with, what's the legal basis for it, and any consent you need to consider, you could almost group that into one 15-minute conversation. Likewise, the what's good and what's bad for your use case, you could group that into another 15-minute conversation. But what we found by grouping the discussion into themes, that really helps. But don't group the actual audience to talk about different things. Have everybody talking about the same topic at the same time. We did trial the idea of trying to then split those four people talking about the top row, those four people talking about that. But you lose the multidisciplinary approach of getting everybody's input and everybody cons everybody's concerns heard. Dedicate scribes for the most important parts of this. So the risks, issues and actions, particularly the actions, that's key. Um, so what we found is that assigning one particular person to be listening the whole time to think, yeah, I think that's a bit of a risk. Let's put it up on the board as a risk. That's an action. I captured that one as you go. Just try and capture the actions at the end. So <clears throat> we usually run these sessions for about 90 minutes. So if you get into the actions, you know, 75, 80 minutes in, trying to remember what you talked about an hour ago and what the specific action was doesn't really help. So nominate a specific scribe to manage the risks, issues and actions as you go. And if you've got the data specialists in the room and one of them's used to writing risks, there is a risk that, which could lead to, oh, why doesn't that person write the risks? And then you're helping them build the risk log for the project as you go. So those, I suppose, are the six biggest learnings that we've had using the ethics canvas. And when we worked with the sort of digital marketing teams to sort of think about how we could pitch the data ethics canvas into those communities of practice, we worked on the mission statement, but also the outcome. So the outcome really is that it enables you to, to make sensible decisions on how to become trusted with data. It wouldn't give you all the answers and it won't give you all the answers. But what it will do is tell you what you should and shouldn't be worrying about in order to help you make those decisions. And when we say sensible decisions, we're referring to balancing the risk versus the overall value appetite and what that would mean of you know, doing the right thing for your customers or for your employees or for your members. Now, perhaps the, the biggest lesson that we've learned here is that through this role and other roles that I've performed in the past, I'm acutely aware that the phrase data governance invokes the imagery of the data police. Right? Sometimes, you know, we, um, there is the perception that governance can slow you down and you only might potentially get involved in a project right before go live and perhaps blockers might be put in the way because, you know, there might not be the right data quality or there might not consent might not have been given. Um, so again, through enlisting help from some of our digital marketing teams who help write the mission statement and our outcomes to help translate that into those communities, they helped us sort of think about data governance in a different way. So it's a very subtle pivot, but since we've started to use the ethics canvas within some of those different teams, I've heard the phrase data ethics being used quite interchangeably with data governance. So oh, we need to think about sort of ethical use of data because we need to make sure that we're getting it from the right source and, and that we've got the right consent to be using that. And I'm not sure that the limitations are right. So they're using some of the phrases, 
that are captured on the canvas. But actually, if you look at the topics on the canvas, they're all reflective of good data management and data protection principles. So where are you storing? What access do you need for the data? Who are you sharing it with? Is it quality and fit for purpose? Um, there are additional ethical considerations, of course, on the canvas, yes. But the fact that we can almost pivot the phrase and talk about data ethics to some of those agile and um, digital delivery teams, it's getting them thinking about the right data management principles and helping with the data or information management culture sort of implicitly. So taking the word governance away and replacing it with something that's much more um, palatable and acceptable to that community has been quite successful. This doesn't mean to say that we're not doing data governance at the co-op and data management. We are. We're just using different ways and different tools to engage with different communities. And then, I suppose, just to move on what we've kind of focusing on this year, because everything I've talked about to date is what we were working on throughout 2018. So we've actually started to crystallise this work into an internal data ethics policy. <coughs> and this looks at the, the themes within the canvas into a series of principles. And those principles do intersect quite a lot with other data policies like data protection and data, or, you know, data ownership, data quality. But they're focused more on uh, consumers or sort of users of data within the co-op that might be looking to generate value from data. So the BIM reporting teams, the insight teams, the data science teams, to get them to think about some of those principles. Because historically, they may not have engaged with some of the more traditional sort of policy structures. And actually writing a series of principles that are relevant for you know, generating insight is actually putting that out there on its own as something else that that community can engage with. There's also the Co-op Way report. So this is an annual report that gets um, written um, and delivered to all of our members at the AGM, which states our progress and performance against our strategic objectives. And there is a specific chapter in there around ethical standards, and this year we've included some commentary, which you can read there, um, around what we've done in 2018 and what we're intending to do in 2019. So we've already published the internal policy. We're also looking to sort of see how we can sort of iterate that and potentially push that data ethics policy into a more public-facing policy as part of our co-op's ethical standards. And we're helping some other organisations too. So I'm a member of the um, UK Data Governance Forum. So it's a sort of forum of practitioners of other data governance quality managers around the UK. And at the, um, the annual conferences in February this year, I gave a similar talk to what I've given to you guys today on sort of ethics by design and how do you build that into the design of products and services. And one of the um, attending organisations, Chester Zoo, their sort of data protection uh, team, came to talk to us to say, well, this is a great tool, can you help us? So they've kind of shadowed uh, when we've ran, shadowed our team and we've been running some of the ethics sessions at, at the co-op. Um, and we're now sort of supporting them, starting to go on their learner journey about how to use the canvas and the tool. There's also the UK Cooperatives Network. So the co-op group who I work for is the largest co-op, but there's, there's thousands of other smaller co-ops that exist around the UK. Um, so we've developed and sort of boiled down what's in the policy content and boiled down a bit of the ethics canvas into a series of five top tips to be able to publish to those smaller cooperatives. Those top tips do cover, as I mentioned, data protection, data management, um, but also sort of start to flush out some of the things about just because it's legally compliant, should you be doing it? 
Um, and we're going to be uh, delivering that top tips, top tips material uh, at the end of May this year on their, on their website and on their um, physical publications. They've also got some practitioner forums sort of throughout the second half of this year, which we're going to go along to and start to workshop with them how to use the ethics canvas. So there's quite a lot more that we're looking to do with this. We're also looking at it more, more broadly in the co-op. So we're not using it just within the digital teams. We've started to test it within the, the retail insight teams, within the insurance insight teams. So we are going to be using this on a much more broader scale. But thank you all for your time and for listening. That was, um, that was all that I'd prepared. Um, so I wondered if there is any questions. Thank you, Danny. Okay. Any questions in the room? Yeah. <clears throat> you said uh, your objective is to be trusted with data. Mm -hmm. How have you validated that you've achieved that objective with your customers? So at the moment, the aspiration to be seen to be trusted with data is what we've talked about at our AGM. We are going to be working with the ODI to do a consumer research exercise with some of our members and some of our colleagues throughout the end of 2019 and to start to validate what does that mean for them. That may include some um, exposing of what we might do at a high level with data to sort of help uh, demonstrate when we get data in, we do these types of things with it and you get the value back out of that. So for example, if we uh, use some of your data to determine transactional history to actually say we could offer you discounts against different products. So I think the actual qualification of what being trusted with data is something that is quite hard to achieve and to, to pin down. I think what we want to do is to take a more progressive approach, step-by-step -step approach. So one of the steps is using a more practical tool internally. Another one will be doing a consumer research piece. And we want to take that one step at a time. I don't think there's an answer for me to say, yes, we are completely trusted with data. I think that's quite a hard thing to be able to do. But instead, we want to be taking the smaller progressive steps and being open and transparent about what we're doing and sharing that in that way and to forums like this um, to help with that, that journey. What resistance have you met along the way? I mean, we've, we've seen all the praise you've had, but, yeah. you know, I mean, I've worked in risk management for a number of years, and yep. an alternative name for it is business prevention department. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. There has been resistance. Um, I think initially when we went to talk to some of the uh, digital <coughs> product owners, delivery managers, we perhaps presented things in a different way. So I referred to the comment, you know, we're, we're here to help you with data governance. And some of the doors closed quite quickly. But when we started to get some help from the digital marketing team, thinking about, well, we need to start to, to use the agile terminology and the agile language to that community, we then felt that, you know, we saw a response in the level of engagement because we were trying to understand what's important for them. We've also tried different... So the other resistance would be, you know, policy content is hard to engage with. I don't, I don't even know some of the policies exist. But that's our role. So actually performing that sort of roving business partner type role and being that sort of more regular, lighter touch engagement with some of the delivery leads and product owners has helped sort of reduce some of that resistance. Naturally, there, there is resistance because some of those teams, they need to work quite quickly to deliver a particular product or service at a quite short space of time. Um, and we've got to be mindful of that, that you know, they've got their objectives and we've got our objectives to manage the risk. So it's about sort of developing that pragmatic relationship 
and, and building and fostering that pragmatic relationship with the delivery managers and the, you know, the, the product owners. If you can, could you give some examples about perhaps how a decision or a feature changed during the development of some of those example projects that you mentioned? I don't know if you can reveal that kind of information, but if not, I don't know, a I summary or a top-level view. So what I refer back to in terms of the feedback that we'd received from some of the teams about clarifying the data regulations. So that particular conversation started out with somebody's perception that there were some attributes that weren't PII. So they'd started to think about a feature of a particular product and had gone a certain way down the delivery uh, life cycle, the design life cycle, to actually produce that before we actually had the workshop. So when we had the workshop, it then meant that some of those attributes were more tightly controlled. Some of those attributes were then removed and put out of scope because it was like, why are we gathering that information? Well, we think it'd be useful. Okay, well, it is PII. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we need to control it more tightly. So by controlling it more tightly... Okay, is that going to change what it is that you're designing? Mm, well, we could just knock it as out of scope. So actually sort of building that awareness about the PII example has meant that some features have been refined so that they were less risky. Um, where they needed to keep those attributes for a valid use case and a valid reason, well, they've kept them in and we've worked with them to put the right controls in place to make sure that that data's secured and protected. I suppose along a similar line, it's, um, are you finding it's necessary to really educate those working with data science that they need to consider this? Because uh, I've been focusing a lot on interpretable machine learning, mm -hmm. and a typical comeback is, well, that's a niche thing. Mm. When really, it's all over the place that these considerations, which are even trickier in a data science context, mm -hmm. need to be brought to the surface. Mm -hmm. So we have started to engage with our data science and data insight teams and we found that the, the canvas is of use in some contexts. I think what's also um, valuable in that space is we've kind of looked at a lot of our, our policy content and wrote a series of, sort of really practical user stories and we use them, you know, load them to Confluence and we can start to refer, well, this user story links back to these three different policies. So don't need to know all of that policy content. How do you answer that user story? And again, through the example I gave to, to, to this gentleman around being a sort of a bit of a business partner, helping them understand that you know, we know all of that policy and the legality content. You know your role. So let's write these user stories in a way so that you can engage with them and understand them. And that's the interface into the more sort of legal and regulatory basis. Acutely aware that a lot of the data science and insight teams need the capability to be able to test different models and different propensities to this or, or, or that. And actually, that's the nature of data science and exploration with data. So what we're trying to do is provide a pragmatic framework that they can work within that gives them the comfort to be able to test different things. And round the outside, we can give that sort of policy wrapper to make sure that it is with an appetite. And what we've tried to do within the, um, the ethics policy is write those principles. So the first draft of those principles, we tested them with a, a focus group comprising of some of the insight teams, some of the data science leaders. It was a really healthy debate and really healthy challenge to actually get those, those principles down to a point that they could understand. There's still some pushback that mm, I'm still not quite sure that that one, how do we apply that one? But we have to start from somewhere. So until we've wrote something down as a series of principles that we would like to work with, it's always difficult to iterate from. 
So that I expect the content in the policy will continue to evolve as we start to learn more and adapt that um, content for the data science and the data insight needs. So it's a very different sort of use case from the digital design of products and services. So we're going to have to tackle it a little bit differently. Okay. Sorry, you talked about sort of translating from governance compliance kind of speak to agile speak. Mm -hmm. You give the example of instead of talking about data governance, talking about data ethics. Do you have any other examples from your lexicon? <laughs> I think the, the microphone's for the um, online audience. Um, I think that's probably the largest example to date. I mean, there's an exercise we're going through at the moment to try and translate um, some of the content we're working on a particular process of a platform that we're putting together um, to, to map that against some of the waterfall sort of uh, project content and project milestones they need to go to versus the agile ones. Um, I think at this point in time, that's probably our biggest learning of how we've tried to sort of reposition some of this. And I think it's something that we'd rather do one thing and, and sort of do it well than try and sort of test lots of other things. I'm sure there'll be more in time and I'm happy to, to come back and share more of our learnings at a point in the future. Um, everyone loves a workshop, and we all come away from a workshop going, yes, that's our new way of living, and we'll do yep. it all the time. And then we go back to our day jobs and forget that it ever happened in, a, in some ways. Yep. Do you see a world where... So every business function nowadays has a finance person, has an HR representative. Do you see a world where they all have a data ethics representation? Is it so embedded in the world? That'd be great. <laughs> I'll be honest, that'd be ideal. But I think where I'm finding a lot more direct engagement with the projects as that sort of data business partner to some of these different projects and services, I'm seeing huge value from that. So are the projects as well, because they're sort of, you know, I can translate some of the, the technical requirements into user stories, for example, what the project needs to meet. I think that should be something that, that should be considered, particularly larger organisations where there is that sort of capability that exists in a sort of a group centre to actually work with those different teams on a, a data BP type role. Absolutely, that should should be something that's considered, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's only two of you. Uh, well, there's only two of us that are actually really um, using the canvas in anger. Our team comprises of sort of 14 FTE in the group centre, and then there are other uh, similar data teams, say within retail and within insurance and within funeral care. So the actual community of practice within data governance, management, data quality is, is, is quite large at the co-op. And then there are all the data users, so the sort of you know the data scientists, the data insight team. So we have quite a large community of practice. So that particular model works in the organisation, you know, of our size. It depends on on the size and scale of your organisation. Okay. Cool. How did you find the? Yeah. You shared the, um, the canvas just there, and obviously a number of those components overlapped quite a bit or sort of feeds into the privacy impact assessment. How do you find that, the two interlink? Do well, you find the one feeds the other? Or? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So actually having the, um, the canvas conversation perhaps at the start answers loads of the questions in a DPIA. So again, the, the point I made around you getting the data specialists in the room, and also if you've got your, your data protection manager with a blank DPIA, sort of in the audience, well, actually, you're kind of helping them fill that in as you go. The workshop format, as you mentioned, yeah, everybody loves the good workshop. Actually, it gets a lot of that information out. Instead of a static email, I've received the form, I need it back in a week's time. What does that actually mean? 
doing it in that sort of really interactive way and sort of removing technology out of it and having that sort of face-to-face, -face, seeing the whites of people's eyes and talking to them about what does that actually mean helps get it done a lot quicker. So, yeah, there is a huge crossover with some of the DPIA content um, and some of the information security content as well. So it is a useful format to help provide that way into perhaps more granularity that's needed in time. I had a question around data literacy mm -hmm. um, and how integral has it been to this journey that you've gone on around data ethics mm -hmm. and what, what are the practical things that the co-op has done around data literacy or to build data literacy? So I think at the outset of this exercise there was um, a certain expectation that there was an okay level of data literacy as we went through sort of working with the different uh, product owners and delivery managers. And actually, as we've gone through this exercise, we've learned that actually that level of, of data literacy and, and sort of engagement in understanding what, how important and how valuable data is, is probably higher than we originally thought. There are a lot of people that sort of, you know, are very skilled and really understand the value and the power of data um, at the co-op. And actually, the canvas has just helped build another tool into their sort of their armory of, of, of what they need to consider. I think there's a number of different practical steps and a lot of them we're going to be working on um, again over 2019 and 2020 um, with, with the ODI. Um, some of them will be looking at a broader skills framework piece. So there are different roles or data roles within the organisation. Um, so, you know, data owners and data stewards or data users and so on. And each of those different roles will have different learner journeys and learner pathways. So we're working quite closely with the learning specialists here at the ODI to develop that skills framework in a way that is relevant for the co-op. And I believe the skills framework was just published, like the, the generic version was published on the ODI website this week. And so that's going to be one of the key tools to start to baseline where do we think people are in their roles and actually where do they A, need to get to from their career development and aspiration point, but actually from the whole picture of the, the skills framework, we can start to see where all these different roles exist, where there might be some gaps that we need to start to plug in time. So that's going to be one of the key tools that we'll be using in the next, the next 12 months. Okay. Any more questions? No? Last chance? No? Okay, cool. Perfect. Ooh. Thank you so much, Danny. Lovely. Thank you all for your time. Cheers. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.